Welcome back to Comeback. As usual, I am your host, Connor, and I am delighted today to be welcomed by my guest, Adam Schofield. We're going to discuss something called chematology, which I'm not too familiar with, so I'm excited into getting more into it and seeing what it's all about. Adam, welcome. How are you? Ah, great to see you, Connor. Um, we used to work together. We did. We did, yeah, <laughs> briefly almost. Yeah. That's right. I met yeah. you in a meeting, I think, first yeah, yeah. day. Very, very first day. Where are you from? Yeah. Manchester. Yeah, nice yeah. one. Exactly. It was like the straightaway <laughs> connection. And the guy next to him, still friends with, was from Liverpool. Yeah. So I was thinking, geez, I'm like, have I moved to Vietnam or what? But then the South Africans, Americans, Australians all came together and now it's all multicultural again. But you can always tell the swagger of a bank. You can. <laughs> so I do bank at the place we work. Yeah. And he like he wears like the the, sh the funky shirts. He's got like the Beatles haircut. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> straight away you're like Manchester, yeah. 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 But I guess like this is just before we move on to the philosophy side of things. How has it been, you know, since I guess 2021, 2022? I know that's broad. What's life been like for you? For me, absolutely mental. Um, the hardest time in my life. I'm 43 years old. I've had a pretty comfortable life. I've had a roller coaster of a DJ career. I've travelled to 73 countries. I've always been that outgoing, joyful, bubbly spirit. Loads of friends around. And to be honest, it's been completely the opposite. Um, and, and I'm actually going to say it's been a blessing in disguise. Um, I've sort of had to reset, reevaluate, redesign my entire life. Um, my friends... Uh, I, I don't blame them for not being around because, you know, I don't think they can understand what I was going through. So uh, I, it, there was a stage where I felt like, oh, everybody's deserted me, everybody's abandoned me. But the honesty is I actually abandoned myself. So I've had to find that rebalance and I'm still finding it. But I've been studying something for a long, long time, which became an obsession. And I finally found a little bit of closure, which is helping me now to reconnect with something that's something people, some, some people call it God. I call it energy. So I'm happy that I'm here today. This is actually, I feel like I'm, I'm more and more coming out of this darkness. Mm. Of, um, I'm going to call it, it was, it was a mental battle. I was fighting demons. And um, yeah, I'm really happy that I can come back and sort of put this down onto a podcast. And thanks for inviting me here. Yeah, no problem, mate. Yeah. And can I just ask you, I know this is deep, like up until this you know, point of, say, 2021, had you a history of, say, mental health problems? Not or? at all. No, I mean... I've done fucking drugs like everyone else. I've had, you know, I, I drink beer. I go out. Um, I've had, there's been trauma in my past. Uh, I'll be straight up with you. I've, you know, I've had sexual, um, some sexual, like, uh, trauma in the past. What do you call it? Fucking sexual abuse. Sexual abuse, yeah. yeah. Which uh, I only started dealing with that a couple of years ago. It, it's, I sort of, I watched the Michael Jackson documentary. Yes. And then, I, and then I realized, well, hang on, something like that happened to me as a kid. But the problem was, is it happened with somebody that was really close in my family. And um, the son um, of that person, uh, the son of the grandfather is one of my, is my best friend. So once I realized something had happened, my, my biggest problem was how do I talk to him about it? I've known him for 43 years and the person who was involved, he passed away a long time ago. So anyway, I actually just went ahead and spoke about it to him. And I felt this great massive weight off my shoulder that I'd basically been lying to myself my entire life. And what I did, the, um, the consequences of figuring that out, I made myself a, a, like a, a life sheet, a timeline of my life on an Excel form. And then I worked out when this incident happened. And then I looked at all the incidences that happened after that. And there was a pattern. And one of the pattern was when I was at, when I was at school, I was a compulsive liar. I was, my nickname was Billy Bullshit. 
And I was, I wasn't lying about things. I was lying like, oh yeah, I have Sky TV and I've got double glazing windows and I was trying to be cool. But then once you befriend the kids and they come around your house and they see it, you, you know, you, you're caught with your pants down. And I had that experience very, very early on, but I still carried on lying. I'd lie about, I'd, I'd take a, my mate's DJ mix and tell everybody I did it. But the funny thing is, is I ended up becoming a DJ and I was giving my own mixes out. So in some respects, I was sort of like setting myself up, you know, by, by lying so much. So the, the consequences of that is I've now become so honest. Like I can smell bullshit from a mile away. You can't bullshit the bullshitter. Mm. So I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful for all these things that have happened. And, you know, compared to other people, what, what I've learned about what people call love, love is about sharing the impact of like a meteor that comes down and when you share your story you'll start getting other people sharing theirs and it kind of soothes it out and then you realize you're not alone we've all got shit yeah. and you know you can't you can't be better you can't win if you don't lose you, you know what i mean so it's all a balance yeah absolutely and sorry to like bring it back but how did you recognize from that documentary that something had happened to you well i've always known but i've never accepted it i've never oh, okay. i've never said like yeah this happened because now that i've got a kid who's 10 Right. If somebody did something to my son, you know, you feel like you're going to do something bad to them. Yeah, so the fact is, I've been living with this and never told. My, both my parents have passed away. My dad died when I was 22. Then my mum died when I was 25. So if they'd have been around, it would have been good to talk to them about. But at sure. the time when I figured it out, I felt like I had nobody I could talk to about. And I was working in a restaurant and I just went into this like real slump where I'd stay in bed all day. I didn't want to go out. Major agoraphobia. You know, how can you, how can you say... I have a nice day when you're not having a nice day. So it all just started getting on top of me. I kept thinking, is that an excuse for, for like a downslide, a downslide in my life? But no, it wasn't. It was a serious, a serious mental challenge. Because yeah, sure. you feel like your entire life's a lie. Yeah. So then, then I started asking, right, what else is a lie? And then I was like, hang on, yeah, you've been telling this story about yourself for ages. It's not true. You're telling this story. And you know what? I just got rid of them all, Connor. And suddenly I just felt fucking liberated. Totally liberated, like, wow, I can start now. I can get on with my shit. And now I've made this, this, this mission to be as honest as possible and cut the bullshit out. That's the hardest thing about this world now is cutting through the bullshit. Mm. And I'm a master at that. You know, you take a lot of flank from people who are saying, why are, you, why are you talking about this, this alternative theory? Because the truth speaks easier and you don't need to question the truth. It's a feeling. And there's so much, like, controlled... Um, I'm going to call it, it's mass psychosis. People are being told one variation, but they're not questioning an alternative. I've figured out that alternative by sticking with this thing for so long now. It's finally come round. It's going to start rewarding me. It is rewarding me already. All right, I don't I know why. I'm, I've been figuring out why I was selected for that, but the story I'm about to tell you will make sense. Okay, yeah. And when did you start exploring this, if I may ask you? When did this begin? So, the, this chematology thing. Yes. Well, I didn't even know it was chematology. So, what happened... 1998, I was working for a bank in Bolton. I was doing like telesales. And I met this guy in there called Dave. And nobody else liked him. He was really like hyper, but I'm also really hyper. So when we had our break time, it was like, you couldn't imagine how, how, how much everybody enjoyed the breaks because we were on the phone all day, six hour a day on the phone, cold call. It was horrible. So I used to sit next to Dave and every Three minute this guy had, he was making a, he was uh, making a book a little bit like Lord of the Rings and he was drawing maps. I couldn't believe it. He just had a little baby and he was saying, I'm going to do this for my kid. I'm going to be successful. And I just sit there and watch so much passion and commitment. And I thought, you know what? What am I doing with my life? Why am I wasting my spare time? So he, he inspired me. Anyway, 
Dave comes up to me one, one day, and this was the time when I was getting into clubbing. I was out every weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. No time, you know, but Mondays felt like fucking amazing. Got loads of new friends on the phone. Life was good. It was all about get salary, going out the weekends, forget about everything else. He gives, he gives me a book and he says, who do you think built the pyramids? I said, I honestly don't give a shit. Egyptians. And it was Fingerprints of the Gods by Graham Hancock, which is a very popular book. So he gives me this book and I, I actually just was be honest to say, I'm not going to read it. He says, no, who built the pyramids? Read the book and come back to me. So I thought, oh, you know what? One thing I'm really good at is give me a challenge and I'll do it. No challenge, no instruction. I'm, I can be pretty loose unit, right? So I go home to this book. I had a look on the front cover and it starts talking about arch um, uh, geometry and, and uh, architecture and stuff and astronomy and quantum physics. And I'm like, fucking hell. I hadn't read a book since school. So I left, I left school in 95. I've not even been in a bookstore or anything like that. So anyway, I put it to the side. And back then I was really, really obsessed with DJing. So I had a mate across the street who, who was rich enough to buy some decks and he had a big record collection. So he had a little room. The first four people round were allowed into this room. So I was there every day and um, three tunes each, bang, bang, bang. Anyway, one night we had a, we had a bit of a fallout about something. I can't remember what it was, but I went home early and I, I just get in my bed feeling miserable. And this book's been sat there for about a month, picked it up, started reading it. And I tell you what, I didn't fucking stop. My mum even walked past my room. She said, what are you doing? I said, I'm reading. She's like, what are you reading for? <laughs> I was like, I don't know. <laughs> she's like, just reading. And this book, it, the pages just spoke to me. Suddenly, all this geometry and stuff, in my mind, then it all just started making sense. And there was all these missing pieces. And I thought, fuck, who did build the pyramids? Because it certainly wasn't that 45-minute class that we did at school. That's all they covered, didn't it? 45 minutes, Egyptians built the pyramids. That were it. There's mm. the Sphinx. And I also remember those te uh, PG Tips cards you used to get. They had like the wonders of the world. Yeah, and I used yeah. to have the pyramid card and the Sphinx card. I used to carry it around. I used to stare at it for ages and think, what the fuck is that? So anyway, I read this book. I give it him back and I said, fuck you, Dave. <laughs> I, can't, I can't answer the question, but I'll come back to you. I went to uh, the bookstore and I, I got like seven books. And the, the key for me was that I went and got books that argued this opinion, this theory. Right, I didn't yeah. stick with that one thing. I thought, I'm going to be non-biased, not left or right. I'm going to have a look. What's he saying? What's they're saying? What I found is that anybody who was, having a, who, was a, who was attacking these theories, to me, they didn't have any logic to back it up. It was just like straight out pseudoscience bullshit. And I'm like, okay, but what about all that work that person's done? If it were bullshit, it would be over in two seconds. But they've spent, they're still going on this thing, right? So I've got questions and I'm not getting the logic for the answers. So I started leaning towards getting more books that were opening my mind to this new paradigm shift. So I got all these books and then suddenly I have to, I have to order a bookshelf and then I'm filling up a room with books and I stopped going out for about a year. I didn't go out, I didn't go DJing, I didn't go drinking. I just started reading all these books and I thought, this is absolutely amazing. I've gone from this book, Fingerprints of the Gods, to learning about uh, metaphysics, geometry, ancient geometry, uh, sacred geometry, into quantum physics, into... Uh, mathematics, pi, and I'm thinking I never would have been interested in any of this, but I'm on a mission to find something, and that something is what I've been trying to figure out. What it's like the search for God, you know. So it became an obsession. Anyway, what happened then was I had to go to Egypt, and Jamie, who's this DJ guy, his mum and dad just been to Egypt, 
And he come back and he's giving me all this, saying, oh, they're going to go again next year. They said, it's amazing, you've got to go. So at the time I was DJing, I was at uni, I was working part-time, I was really busy. I was making good money. So I booked a Thomas Cook two-week all-inclusive paid five-star trip to Egypt. And it was a gift for my niece who was 14. And this was a year in advance. So that whole year I paid it off. It was like five grand. It was right, a lot of money. Yeah. I'd never, ever done a package deal. But I figured I want to do it all, you know, see everything. The, the, the balloon rides the lot. So I did the whole year DJing. I was at school. I was busy all day, no sweat. Then my mum got, she got cancer. She got sarcophagus cancer. And I just lost my dad uh, in 2002. My mum gets cancer in 2004. So it was, it was really crazy. And I said to her, you know what? Oh, I'll, I'll cancel that trip. She said, no, it's fine. I'll be fine by then. So that whole year, I just kept seeing her getting worse and worse. And I was trying to balance everything. I was trying to do my job and go to uni and take care of my mum. Anyway, then the war broke out. So Thomas Cook actually sent us an email saying, we've advised all of our clients to cancel the trip because literally it's, it's a war zone. And I said to my mum, right, looks like I'm not going. She said, you're bloody going. No matter what, you're getting on that plane. You're taking Laura because I know, I know how much it means to you. So she, she egged me on. So... It's funny thing is, me, I've got pictures of me and my niece in Egypt. We're the only ones at the pyramid. There's no one there. It was, it was beautiful. There's not a single tourist there, maybe a few, but we had the whole fucking place to ourselves. So anyway, just at the time, um, she's in hospital and she said, you, you're going, I'll be fine. So I said to my sister, if anything happens, she said, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to tell you? Because you're going to be on holiday. And I, and I said, do what you think's right. So anyway, we left, get to Egypt. First three days are unbelievable. We've got our own little tour guide. And she's typical Egyptologist. She's telling us this theory and basically trying to make everybody follow a certain narrative. And the funny thing is, if I'd have gone to Egypt without knowing what I knew prior, I would, yeah. have, I would have accepted that narrative. But I was like walking around saying, what's that there? Oh, it's just something that, you know, part of the remodeling. No, it wasn't. That's an actual artifact that nobody's bothered to, to look at. So I'm, I'm seeing Egypt in a completely different perspective. But I wasn't going there, but with a biased mind. I was going there with a very open mind, looking at everything, and I've always started realizing what all of that means now by putting the pieces together. Right. Right. Okay. So that's the important thing. Is if, you, if you go there looking for something specific, it can be biased. Right. So I go there, and uh, first few days we're going the pyramid, unbelievable. Uh, we do all these crazy things, and then we did a whole tour one day, and then the the, the woman took us down to this market. We got our cartouches made which really, we watched the guys making the cartouche. They were only like $60, but it became this thing. I put it on my neck and it was like my favorite trinket. I'm never going to part with it. And then she took us to this perfume shop. And this is where it gets so random. Walk in this perfume shop. My niece is 14, but she looks quite, quite mature. And this Egyptian guy makes a joke saying, if you put my perfume on your wife's pyramid, she's going to love you a long time. And I said, mate, it's my fucking niece. She's 14. And he shit himself. He basically pushes my daughter, uh, my niece over to a corner, gets her like taken care of, uh, try all the perfumes, and then me and him go in the back room for a little chat. And he says, look, I've seen your tattoo. So I've got a tattoo on my arm. Yeah, this I tattoo I got from the second book I ever read, which was The Orion Mystery by Robert Baval, which was sort of interlinked with uh, Fingerprints of the Gods. And he had this theory that the pyramids were in line with the Orion's belt. So that was the first sort of theory that I had. And this tattoo I have on my arm is actually the duat. And the duat is like a double harmony. It's like, apparently, according to the Egyptians, it's where you go in the afterlife. 
So I've, I've had this on my arm because I was actually trying to formulate a movie about this planet that we go to or a planet that's inhabitable that we've always known about. So I go to Egypt and then when I got there, I think, I'm thinking, fuck, I hope this means what it means. I hope it doesn't offend anybody. But you see, nobody talks hieroglyph. Nobody reads hieroglyph in Egypt. They speak Arabic. So the one mistake I made is it's not hieroglyph. It's called Sufi. And Sufi is the language of the written language of Egypt. So philosophy comes from Sufi, which are the children of, of, uh, of Sufi, right? Right, right? So I've always been into philosophy, but I never realized where it comes from. So I'm stood there. This guy reads my arm. He looks at my arm and he's like, do you want to climb the pyramid tonight? I was like, fuck, absolutely. How do I do that? So he's telling me he's got a dad who's in the military and he, I pay him $100 and go up the pyramid. So he said, I'll meet you at the Mina house. I'm staying at the Mina house. If you know Egypt, it's the most important place where all the writers stay. Um, don't tell a word. I'll pick you up at five o'clock. Buzzing. So I take my niece home. We're in the, we're in the restaurant talking. And uh, I mentioned it to my niece. I said, you're going to be all right in the hotel. You stay in here. You'd be nothing wrong with you. I'm going to go and do this thing with this guy. Okay, no worries. And as I'm telling her, some guy overhears, an American guy overhears, he's with his son and he starts interrupting me and asking me and pestering me like, I, I want to climb the pyramid as well. So I'd already gone against what I promised the guy not to say yeah, anything, right? Yeah. Anyway, I get nervous. So I'll take her up to the hotel. I get changed. I come down. The guy pulls up five o'clock and this, this American guy is right up my ass asking me questions. I said to the guy, look, I'm not doing it. I'm off. I've heard bad stories. If you get caught going up the pyramid, you get shot. He said, don't worry. I've made a different decision. I'm going to take you to meet this guy. So I get in the car. The, the, the American's banging on the window and everything. I get in the car with a stranger. I'm not with my tour guy. This guy takes me into the middle of the fucking Cairo where basically there's a view of the Sphinx and we go into a, like a, a house. It's got no furniture in it. It's just, it's just concrete walls. There's a, there's a fire burning in the middle and there's a big shisha bong. There's no one in there walking. And next thing, there's like 12 guys come in, all sit down, Egyptians. And then this guy walks in. And I've met a couple of people in my life that seem to like levitate. They look like they're levitating, right? They may, probably not, but they're so light the way they move. This guy walks in. He's wearing the Egyptian robe and he's got the hat. And he comes right up to me and he looks me in the eyes and it was just unbelievable, the, the power. Mm. And he said, uh, welcome home, you know, salam aleikum. Um, and before we, we even get to sitting down or anything, he said, your father is right behind you and he's always been there. And I hadn't mentioned my dad once to anybody. So I actually, I was physically sick. I puked right there on the spot. And I felt so embarrassed. And he, he told me to sit down and I felt like I was sitting in my own puddle the puke yeah, yeah. so I just sat down and I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna deal with that later right and then he engages with everybody and the first thing he says was time is an illusion and from then on Connor it was like a, a four-hour download of the most insane information I, I, I couldn't process it and then he, uh, he turned to me and he said your mother's also sick and I said yeah his name is Hakim and Hakim means the wise man right so he said this to me about my mom She's sick. And I said, yeah. And I actually felt like crying. And he's like, he said, I'm going to send her some energy. That's what the Sphinx is for, mm. to send energy. And he said, she will know. And I was just, I was just absolutely speechless, right? And he carries on talking. And then randomly, my phone goes off. And my niece is shouting down the phone saying, the guy from the hotel is banging on the door. He's mithering her. Like, where are you? He wants to climb the pyramid. So I just had to stop the meeting and say to the guy, can you take me back to the hotel? Hakeem got really pissed off. 
It was like his face turned into something from Lord of the Rings, like one of those wizards that goes bad. Like, go! And I just thought, fuck, I fucked that up. So I was like, really sorry, really sorry. Anyway, all the way in the car on the way back, the guy's like, don't worry about it. You met Hakeem. You'll figure out what it all means later on. Drops me off. I get to the hotel. That guy's buggered off. My niece is just sat there watching TV. I was like, shit, I could have stayed there all night. Anyway, I didn't feel the same person from that moment. And I had, I had a pyramid view. And I'm looking at the pyramid and, and all, I was just, I was just buzzing. I was, my body was resonating. And I was thinking, you know, did I smoke something in that shisha? Do I feel like, even my niece said, are you, are you all right? I was like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like higher alert, right? So the next day, we've got four hours to burn before we fly down to Luxor. Mm. We get in a boat. So we go and check out the pool. I haven't been in the pool for three days. Get down the pool, sticking my feet in the water. I see a guy on the other side of the pool with his obvious wife. He's got a laptop. Back in 2002 or 2005, seeing somebody with a laptop around the pool was kind of weird. Right, so they would have yeah. been a writer. And it's the mean house where all the famous writers stay. I take a look at this guy. Holy shit. I run around the pool. No one of a lie. You're Robert Baval. Yes, I am. I said, dude, I'm here. I've got a tattoo from your book. I'm here to do some research about possibly making a film script. So he spent four hours with me, sitting there, listening to my story. Famous writer, one of my heroes. He was so impressed. He's like, I've got a son who's got mental issues in London. I'd love for you to come down and like teach him how to DJ or you get him into what you're doing because he's away for so long, his son's been neglected. It was the opposite for me kind of thing, you know? Okay, so yeah, yeah. There's, there's some shit in there. You try to do the right thing growing up, but the more you work, the more you distance you away from your kid. So anyway, he said, keep in touch. And I told him the story. I said, I went to meet this guy last night, Hakeem. And he's like, you met Hakeem? He was sitting, he's like, this guy's a legend. He said, how do I meet this guy? I've heard about him for years. I said, I have no idea. I just went to this, this perfume shop, randomly got took there. That's my life. I've been the man of random shit. And he was, he was like, I've got to find out about this guy. So anyway, we get, get on the, the bus to the, the, the airport. And I, I immediately, at the airport, I started having real bad problems in my stomach. I don't know if it was in the restaurant we were in, we complained about the food, they might have food poisoned us, but as soon as I got on the plane, I'm, 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 I'm on red alert. Like mm. I'm, I'm shooting water through like crazy. And it, it went on for two days, solid. Couldn't, couldn't drink any water without it passing through to the point where I thought I was gonna die. So we missed the first two days of a fucking five-star boat trip down the, down the Nile because I was in bed. Then my niece got the same problem, right? Some people call it the Tutankhamun's curse or whatever, because we didn't go in his tomb. So there was something going on. Anyway, we finally resumed the tour. Everything was going great. And then uh, we came back to England on the Friday night, right? So I've just had this unbelievable trip where I've got to see all this stuff that I've been reading about in these books for years before. And I'm only, I'm 25 years old. Right, right? Okay. which is weird. All my niece was saying is like, oh, more stones, more bricks. Now she says, you know, that trip was actually really good. So when we got back on the Friday, I dropped my niece off. My sister says, mum's in hospital, didn't want to tell you. She had a relapse last week. She's really bad. So I just drop everything, bomb it to the, the hospital. And the, as soon as I walked in, the nurse said to me, are you Adam? Yes, I am. She said, your mum's been waiting for you. I said, that's fucking unbelievable. She's, that's, that's my mum. So I go in, she's lucid. She knows who I am. I tell her the story. She's dead happy. That was our last conversation. And I, I took my cartouche off and I put it around the neck. I said, Mum, I'll be right back. I'm going to go and get my stuff. I'll come back and I'll stay with you. So I didn't come back till Saturday morning. I got a phone call Saturday morning off the nurse saying, Adam, your mum's complaining, saying something's burning around the neck. And I thought, well, it's just a cartouche. She said, it's burning. I said, don't take it off. It's there to protect her. 
Anyway, Sunday, I called everybody. Monday, everybody came, people from London. I got everybody there, including a mum and dad, my grandma and granddad, which was really sad. And then on the Monday, she, she was so um, doped up, right? She couldn't move. That's what they do, morphine you up, right? Mm. Getting ready for your brain to die. She's so morphined up, we're all sat there, and then suddenly, no word of a lie, she just sat up in the bed, and she opened her eyes and she looked right at me. And all I could think about was Hakim saying, she will know, I'll send her some energy. And that's what I believe he did for me. And that's why I've, I've been on this journey ever since, there's magic, there's, the, there's my proof of the magic, right? He said he sent her something through the Sphinx, and it gave her the energy just long enough for me to get back and sort that shit out. Then she passed out. We called the bell. The, the nurse came in, tried to explain to her. She said, there's no way your mum just sat up. And we all said, yes, yeah, she did. You know, it was like it was like exorcist. It was weird. Mm. Anyway, she died the next day, Tuesday morning. Okay. So just enough time, right? She died peacefully. And it was a, it was a very sad thing, but it was also a very wonderful thing as well because you grow. And I believe nothing dies. It only transforms, right? So since then, then I'm now dealing with I've got no parents, I'm living in their house, I'm trying to do a, a degree part-time, I'm working part-time. All the house is paid for, but I can't cover the bills because I'm only doing part-time work. So it all got a bit on top of me, started, started getting stressed out. And then one day, I just remember, I was watching Discovery, <coughs> Discovery Channel. Mm. And I'm just thinking, I'm always wondering if Hakim had ever met Robert Baval. And then one day, it was the Pyramid Code. It's on YouTube, check it out, the Pyramid Code, it's five parts. Hakim's in the pyramid call. I haven't seen this guy for years. And I've, I've seen him on TV and thought, he's real, that's the guy. I've got physical proof this guy's real. Don't forget, he lived in the, in the slum. He, he, he wasn't going on the internet. He didn't have a phone and all that. He was a, he was a fucking 90-year-old you know, wisdom keeper. So I see him on, on Discovery Channel, like, there's Hakim. It was like, wow, I could have been on any, any channel, but I was on that channel at that moment. Then I started watching this thing. Halfway through that, there's an interview with Rob Baval, but they're not in the same shot. Right, okay. So I'm assuming they finally found each other. Wow, after that conversation I had with Robert, he's tracked him down, and now Robert's going to get to know what, what Hakim's theories are. The crazy thing is, is what I was listening to at the time with Hakim, I had no idea what he was telling me. It was all just coded downloads so fast, right? And it took me all this time to process it. So what, what Robert was telling me and what Graham Hancock was saying back then, that's changed now. I've allowed my mind to change, and, and they have as well. But... I've changed it completely, right? And I think that's an important message to everybody, is to, to allow your mind to open, right? And, and, and accept this paradigm shifts. We are, we are very well established in a narrative that, suits, that um, it suits a certain direction. And I'm not for that. I'm, I'm all for like being open as philosophy should be. So I see this and then I just got inspired to basically sell my house. So I joined Couchsurfing and, I, and, and I, I promised to go around the world and write a book. I actually became the, the, the world record for Couchsurfing. Yeah, I did I, see your article, yeah, yeah I did. you showed me. Yeah. I, I planned to do five years. I sold up and then just went traveling and I contacted loads of Couchsurfers. Back then, there was only 100,000 members. Yeah. I became a nomadic ambassador and I just went traveling. So my blog started at nothing and it reached 16,000 readers. I had a website. It just snowballed. Yeah. I was invited to all these like interviews, newspapers. I was DJing as well. So I just felt like, wow, this is just like building itself. But the problem was, is like some, some areas of the internet was so bad. I couldn't like upload. I'd be some days behind. I was using like Zoomla back then. So it was all like back end. It's not like now where you have a phone. Yeah, I was yeah. using a fucking like Sony video camera, a Canon camera. I was carrying DJ shit around. It was, it was like 100 kilograms of shit. 
mobile, you know, completely nomadic. So anyway, I did this because I wanted to show the world, I wanted to show my parents the world through my eyes. And I also had a lot, I wanted to go and see because I realized reading books is one thing, but when I went to Egypt, I got to feel it. So I was like, right, I'm going to go around the world. But I was mostly interested in going visiting all these ancient sites. And every single site I've ever been, I've always had that same feeling, a feeling of resonation, right? It's just like, it's weird. It's, it's, you can't explain it. But once you, once you get it, there are, it, there's a reason for it because they're all built on these geomagnetic sites, right? Which are usually basically, it starts with two rocks that lean on each other. And under that rock, there'll be like a triangle a space. And that with the uh, geomagnetic energy underground, which is caused by seismic movement, it comes up and it hits those rocks and it kind of makes a circle of energy inside that pyramid. So that would become the basis of all the temples. The people would go there to heal themselves, uh, to, like, to, to pray, and then over time, they've been built into, into temples. But the, the focal area always remains the same. That's, if you look at Stonehenge, the original was two slabs of stone. They're still there in the middle. So, anyway, I start traveling, I go, go and do all that, and then I ended up coming to Vietnam, cut, cut that story short, came to Vietnam uh, because I was burnt out. Uh, I, I, I was done, 73 countries, changing money every day, changing friends, languages, moving around. It was very tiring. I loved being nomadic, but it really pays, pay, pay, you know, it'll hurt you. So was this over five years? It, it was supposed to be five years, but I, I actually got drugged and robbed in Argentina, okay. which set me back money-wise and mentally. And I, I broke my uh, crucial ligament in the Galapagos. Then I broke my knee bone in Ecuador. I was in Ecuador for eight months recovering. So those two delays kind of set me back. And then I just, yeah, I got worn out. When I went through the Caribbean, I was kind of worn out. And then I got to Canada. And then I started thinking, look, I've got to be smart here. I wasn't really making any money, but I was DJing, but I was spending it. So I wasn't thinking about the end game. I was thinking, you know, how long can I do this for? And what's the plan when I finish? So I started thinking about settling down. Anyway, I was going to go from Canada. I was just going to go um, like Australia or something. Then I saw Anthony Bourdain in Vietnam. Yeah, yeah. And that triggered me to go to Vietnam. I just was like, I'm going to go there. And I got to Vietnam. Uh, and I got a job, got a new set of friends, and I needed to settle down. So within, within a month of being here, I was literally set up. And yeah, I just thought, all right, maybe I'll stay for a bit and then I'll... I, I tell you what, in a nutshell, I'd got what I needed out of that trip. There was no point in carrying on. Right. Okay. You know, it was becoming... I was, it was more of an ego thing then. Yeah, but yeah, yeah I, I've met people who've been around the world about five times. You know, one guy's a teacher. He, he goes in schools and makes shapes out of balloons. He's been around the world five times doing that. He's happy to do that. But for me, I had to stop. Right, because don't forget, I was couch surfing. I had no independence, really. Yeah, of course. So anyway, that was that. Did what I did. Got to Vietnam, and then I was the whole time. I was very conscious that I was always looking for Hakim on the internet. But that's, that was when you know Google was in its infancy, so I could never find him. Nothing ever came up, and I was pissed off. I was trying to find something online. Like, is there any website where? Why is this guy not known? Why does nobody know him? To me, he's the most fascinating person in the world. And the, you know, he was just—he's—he's he's a guy that did tours around Egypt. Loads and millions of people have met him, but he'd do the, his tour which was completely separate from the whole Egyptology theory. So anyway, it was recently, um, uh, when, I was in Egypt, when I was in Vietnam, I protected this cartouche, by the way. Some bugger just decided to drive past me in Vietnam and pull it off my neck. Right. Okay. And it felt like that, that was the last piece of my mum. And it, it, it really sent me under. But as much as that was painful, that was also one of these lessons where I finally 
got rid of these material things and started working on the inner. You know what I mean? Yeah, so sure. I was like, okay, yeah, I lost it, but don't get too attached to these things. It's, it's, it's just a thing at the end of the day, right? So anyway, I was, um, I was, going, I was talking to uh, my mate um, about this guy, Hakeem, just last year or a year, year before that, before lockdown, and uh, he just Googled it. Because I've, I've been doing it for so long, I just give up. He Googles it, and this website comes up, Kematology. And it says, Hakeem passed away, 2008. I had no idea. Well, he calls it Westing. So in, in, in chemotology, there's, no, there's, no, there's not even a word for death. Everything's a cycle, right? So I start looking into this website. There's not much information on there, but there is a picture of a guy called Stephen Melher, who was basically the only student of Hakeem who's managed to publish two books. Mm. So I need these books now. Yeah, yeah. Because I've been on this trip, but there's been pieces of this thing that I've been trying to figure out which have been missing. So I ordered two of these books, sent them to Vietnam from Cambridge. A friend of mine bought them. Both books couldn't get into Vietnam. Got sent back. Why? Twice because of the content. Ah, uh, okay. Right? This, they kept saying the address was wrong, but it's bullshit. So in the end, I just said to me, mate, I should have done this at the beginning. I said, mate, just scan them. Send them over and I'll read them. So that's what I did. And I, I actually read the second one first, which didn't make any sense. Then I got the first one. Then I've just reread them both again. And it makes, it's everything that Hakeem was telling me in that room, but I didn't have the maturity to process it. So now I thought, I'd be like, wow, holy shit. Like everything means, it's all, it all matters. Some, it's all there for a reason. If you're focused on something, you know, um, with the right intention. So anyway, um, I contacted this Stephen guy. I said, look, you don't know me, but I told him the story of Hakeem. He's a famous writer. I don't expect you to reply to me. He did. He replied to me and he, 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 he asked me a couple of questions about, um, you know, to to uh, make sure that I was telling the truth. I said, oh, this was in his room when I was there. There was a picture on the wall. And he said, yeah, that's about right. And I said, you know, I guess not many people get to go to his house. He said, yeah, you're very lucky. So Stephen got to spend all his time with him and became a student of chemotology. And this guy, Hakim was like a, an architect. He was a geologist. They've, they've all studied multiple degrees, right? But they've also studied metaphysics, which is really important. So like basically the science and the archaeology and all this Egyptology, they're all closed off to what they can say and what they can do. And that's a big problem for me. Mm. You're seeing that more and more now. There's a lot more censoring and stuff, right? Because they want to keep people in the dark to what's really going on. And I actually think that's, there's, there's good in that. You know, there is. There's a lot of good in that. Because what I've discovered recently, I'm not going to go too conspiracy, but if you want to know the secrets to the world, you better have a stomach for it because it's brutal. It's like you have to change everything you know. What did Osho said? He said, to learn, you must first unlearn. And that's yeah, exactly yeah. right. So anyway, I get some answers. I had a paradigm shift. My mind's completely opened up. So I start reading hieroglyphs like properly. So the hieroglyphs are this ancient Egyptian, the Egyptian writing, but they've been misinterpreted, right? So what Hakim did, because he grew up, he grew up in Cairo. He grew up in the tunnels. That was his playground. So for 90 odd years, he's, he's had access before it all got carded off. And he's part of an oral tradition from the commissions that's been passed down, he believes, 60,000 years. So there was, a, there was basically a, a master civilization, an ancient civilization, 60,000 years ago, called the commissions. And they, they were set, split into 42 tribes. Um, and it's, uh, it was called Boo Wizza. That was the whole area, Boo Wizza. And it's actually called the Black Land. The reason they settled there is because of the soil. 
it was, it was able to, you know, generate crops from the Nile, the up and down of the Nile. So what he says immediately uh, in, in his talks, he talks about there's no such thing as linear evolution. It, we've been going around in cycles. So what these people, what their sort of routine was all about, the first cycle for them was something called the, the Kepa, which was the dawn, the, 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 the raising of dawn. And it was um, depicted by the scarab beetle. And the reason for that is because you couldn't tell if it was a boy or a girl when it was born. So at the beginning of the day, it could be boy or girl, right? So this is a time, a cycle, which was about from 60,000 to 30,000. So it's the time of when we're opening our consciousness. That's what would have been happening to all of life. Similar to, you know, bacteria and water, how it evolves. Right, okay. So then the second stage was called Ra, which a lot of people know as the sun god. And Ra was uh, depicted by the ram because it's stubborn, right? You know, like the hot, the heat of the day. So it's like that. We're stubborn. We've learned our consciousness and then we're sort of like making irrational and rational decisions. We, we're stubborn. We're not wise yet. So this would have happened about 30,000 years ago. So the mindset and the, the, uh, the advancement, the knowledge would have changed. And then the third stage is called the, um, the Oon. The Oon, which means wise man, and it's depicted by a wise man. Then the fourth stage is the, uh, the Aten, and that's a wiser man. But then what happens in the fifth stage, which is apparently the stage we're in now, that's called the Amen, which is Amen. And this is the darkness or the hidden. So we've gone from like the consciousness to our most wise, advanced, uh, fully aware of everything, using all of our senses, apparently there's 360 senses, um, now we've only got five, and then we go into this darkness. And we do it for a reason, because that's the cycle, like day to night. So these commissions, they've been following this cycle for, these, uh, for all this time. So what, um, what, what was the big shift in me then is that, you know, everybody talks about the, the pyramids being tombs. I've been inside the pyramids, they're not tombs. You can tell that by the way you move around inside there. There was never any like depictions in there. There's no drawings or anything like that. You get a feeling it's just not built for humans. So my original idea, based on what Robert Baval was, was that that's where the soul goes, and then the soul gets shot through this tunnel into the sky and goes to the Orion's belt. And I believe that. I have a tattoo on my arm, which kind of signifies that. But the elephant in the room is, when you look at Hakim, when he talks about the actual hieroglyphs on the walls, he's figured out that these, these five things, the five purrs. So the pur R is symbolized as the high house. And this is a time when... This tribe, they were based in a matriarchal system. And you can see that because there's statues in Egypt where the woman's always got their arm around the small king. So it was a matriarchal system. And the high house was the, she was the, the boss. And she was the only one who could pick the king, right? So you look at the difference now. We're living in an obsessive patriarchal system, which is very submissive, you know? It's full of war and terror. Back then, I think it was a little bit more harmonious. So then... You have the per car, which is the tomb. And these are all, they've got hieroglyphic pictures on walls. And when you know what they are and you go in temples, they'll actually say, this is what this is. So per R, high house, per car is the tomb, per bar is a temple. And then the pyramid is called a per nita, which actually means a house of energy. So the fact that there is two different symbols for a pyramid and for a tomb is your smoking gun right there that they were never tombs, they were house of energy. And 
Then there's a per weir, which is the house of the wise man. So if you look at that, they're almost like a, a cycle as well, right? So that for me, straight away, when you look at Pernetta, they're saying that all the pyramids are not tombs, they're actually energy devices. So this is where I had another paradigm shift and I thought, I've been looking at this all completely wrong, right? I've allowed my brain to transform. I've got spent so much money on all these old books that talked about this alignment with the stars, but now we're talking about energy. I had no idea about this ages ago, but what did Hakim say to me? He's gonna send me some energy through the Sphinx and my mum will know. So that's my, that's my top trump card right there, right? So what I found out now is that the pyramids are actually coupled oscillators. So the pyramid sits on top of an energy, a geomagnetic energy line, where seismic movement comes under the ground and it pings up. And what the, what the pyramids do is they capture the Earth's energy and they balance it, right? You know what an oscillator is? Yeah, You've got yeah. the positive and the negative. So the thing is, is it's drawing magnetic energy from the ground. And there's something called an Asgat Nefer, which means the two waters, which is uh, the Foth and Horus. And I didn't quite understand what that meant until recently. So what we've basically got, there's a guy called Christopher Dunn, and anybody who's listening to this podcast, I would highly please recommend, check out Christopher Dunn. He's done a book called The Giza Power Plant. He's a, he's a top, top of the game mechanic. He's a stonemason. He worked for the military designing weapons. The guy is the guy to talk about how to cut stone. And what he did, he, he wrote a second book where he looked at the statues of Ramesses, and you've got a face that's identical on both sides made out of granite. You cannot physically do that with chisels. You have to have some kind of laser or something that's drawing ge ge geometrical shapes to get it It's spot on to the millimeter, right? So this guy has looked at the, the, the pyramid from his engineering mind and seen something that nobody else has spotted, right? And he's, and he's put his entire, like, like all these people, they put their entire reputation on the line. But for me, it completely made sense immediately, having been inside it. So he's saying that the pyramids are coupled off oscillator. And what happens is you've got two tunnels that go inside the pyramid, right? That got water. One of the tunnels comes from the Nile and one of them is an underground tunnel system which they built. There's tunnel systems all around the world, but the Egyptians, they use water just like blood flows through our body, right? Organically. So they've got water coming from the Nile, which is actually lunar, which is negatively charged and it's feminine. And then the water from the underground cave is solar, which is the, the masculine. So you've got two energy sources of water coming in. So they, they, were, they were so clued up as to what water really is. We completely take it for granted. We just drink it. These guys were using it to create energy and power, right? And how did they do that? So on, at the very bottom of the pyramid, if you, if you actually download a, a diagram of the pyramid, you'll see what I'm talking about. You've got a, like a section at the bottom, which is kind of like a ramp pump. So you've got two bodies of water coming in and this ramp pump, what happens is as the water comes in, it creates a vibration and the actual pressure of the water will pump the water up itself. It doesn't need to be hydraulically pumped. It's, it's called a ramp pump. So you've got water that comes up. It goes into what we call the, um, the um, sorry, it, it goes up. And then what happens is in the queen's chamber, there's two shafts that come down, which there's been these guys sending robots up to try and find these shafts. On one of the shafts, there's, a, there's like a door and it's got these two what, basically electrodes. And what that proves is that there was something coming down this shaft and the electrodes were, were controlling how much of this thing was passing through. 
it was it was regulating it, right? So there's now a load of salt deposits inside this area, which this Christopher Dunn's been looking at. The salt proves that basically through one of these shafts, there was diluted hydrochloric acid, right? That would then mix with um, anhydrous zinc solution coming down the other shaft. And what happens then, it creates a chemical reaction inside the queen's chamber, which allows the separation of hydrogen and oxygen from water, right? How cool is that? And the salt left over shows that that was a real thing. And there's also, you can see these chemical trails on the walls. There's some kind of spillage, right? So then what happens is the hydrogen would then pass through another chamber and it would go inside the grand chamber, which I've been inside. The grand chamber, it sort of like peaks up into its own like pyramid. It's huge. They're made out of a thousand ton long slabs. And the reason for that is high intensity heat or sound. So what this guy reckons is inside that chamber, the, the, uh, there was some kind of resonating or acoustical harm, harmonic resonance, which would amplify or intensify the hydrogen. So basically you're taking the vibration and turning that into sound, just like you do on a bell in a church, right? So then inside the king's chamber, there is a box which they reckon was this sort of oscillator. And this was, this was kind of acting like a Hemholtz resonator. So the, a Hemholtz resonator, the best way to describe it is when you blow into an empty bottle and you make that sound. You put pressure in and then sound comes out, right? So the vibration, which is acoustically harmonically resonance, goes into this Hemholtz resonator and it's a vibration of sound, which would basically cause a clean implosion reaction inside the grand chamber which is endless power. That then can, can be converted into microwave energy. So from that then, on the top of the pyramid, you have this, like the, the capstone, which is missing. You could then fire this uh, energy to another source, maybe even another planet. But if, you, if you're into Nikola Tesla, Nikola Tesla was doing the exact same technology. He copied the layout of the pyramid. He built a tower. The two towers of Tesla prove that you don't need DC electricity. You can fire electricity through the ionosphere to another tower, and then it can go through the ground and it creates a circuit, and you create wireless electricity. He proved that 100 years ago. And, he, and I'll tell you this now, the Eiffel Tower is a bare naked power tower in front of an obelisk in, front, in the middle of a body of water. The body of the water is the, the, uh, the capacitor that's holding the electric. So the Eiffel Tower is a, is a tower, the obelisk, is its pinger is creating a thing, and guess which city in the world was the first to go from gas to power? Utility that people pay. It was Paris, and Edison was the one who designed that, and he got Tesla to help him. So what we're talking about here is we could have had free energy, but instead it got put into the wrong hands, and we ended up paying for it. What sort of wrong hands? Like who? Well, Edison and and the, okay. and, and the corporations, uh, J.P. Morgan, and all these guys. So everything that you know, Edison said to. Tesla, I want you to build me a low voltage generator, but I want high powered uh, arc lamps on the street. So low power, because he doesn't want to pay for the power. Tesla said, I'll give you all of that for free. Because he'd already built a model of the pyramid, which was the Windenshaw Tower in Long Island, New York. What he was doing was pinging that to the Eiffel Tower, and he was getting a circuit. He could hold... Uh, uh, light bulbs without cables in the middle of this circuit and they would light up. 
right? So everyone's like, fuck, this is crazy. And now you'll see in the next few years, there's going to be wireless electricity. They're already rolling it out. You'd be able to put your phone on a table. It'll just charge itself, right? I do believe Tesla, Elon Musk has been using this. He's, the, all the patterns of Tesla got robbed. Mm. And now what we're seeing is that uh, they, 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 these Tesla cars are not, they don't need to charge up. They're already charged up because this energy is all around. It's in, it's the magnetic grid all around us. And Tesla always said, who scratches the cat's back? I've got a cat. Cats, they're always like, zzz, zzz, you know, they're feeling the same energy. And the reason cats purr is exactly what I'm trying to tell you about this coupled oscillator. They're tuned in to this frequency. We're not, we're on a third density vibration. So what they reckon is that based on, um, there was something that ha inside the pyramid, something happened a long time ago. There's evidence inside the King's Chamber of an explosion. There's, the floors are bent and there's, there's actually burn marks on the wall. That's why they, they, you're not allowed to do flash photography. But Christopher Dunn managed to take some photos and saw all these burn marks and they tried to clean the stone, but the burn's gone into the granite. It's changed the color. You can only do that with high intensity heat. So imagine you've got a power station that's all running nice and whatever, and then something happens and it explodes from the inside. If you look how the pyramids are all connected, the step pyramid in uh, Saqqara and, and Jossa, this, this, uh, this, this like on the corner of the pyramids, it's cracked. And they, 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 they were saying people came to raid it and steal. Like, why would they only steal the corner of a pyramid? It makes no sense. What makes sense is that this explosion, instead of implosion, it was an explosion inside and it fucked the whole, the whole grid up. And then all the other pyramids, they exploded inside as well. It made a big shudder. And there's evidence of that all around Egypt. So this thing that was connected was powering civilization. It could be for a good thing. It could be for something bad. Because the deeper I go with this, it could be kind of dark forces. These things could have been used to, to control. But I believe they were used, and the people who were built them were at the highest level of consciousness. They were on the fifth density vibration. They were fully attuned. They weren't slaves. They were master builders who had, who had the ability to connect with, with energy and forces that are beyond our reach, you know? So... Um, what, they, what, what some people are suggesting is that the fact that they use chemicals in the water, that over time the, uh, the, the, the water was substituted by chemicals by accident. If you look at Angkor Wat, they said that the, the water got polluted. That's what destroyed the whole thing. But due to these chemicals going in the water, they reckon consciousness may have declined due to the wearing of the senses. So Hakim said we used to have 360 senses. Now we've gone back down to five and we're stuck in this like prison consciousness and we've become a patriarchal system. So whoever's took over from what that harmonious stage or let's say that was the, the, the Un stage or the Amun, we, we, sorry, the Aten, we, we've been in this Amun stage now for a long time. And apparently the reason I'm talking on behalf of Hakim and on behalf of Kematology, a lot of these ancient wisdom keepers and these ancient tribes are all starting to uprise again. But they can't just put it out there. It has to be a, a consciousness that's organically moving. And I believe I've experienced that. So I'm, I'm starting to come out of the darkness myself. It's not only a cycle for humanity, it's a cycle for me. I've gone through, I'm going through the Ammon. I'm going back into the, the dawn again, starting the Kepa stage. I hope so. You know, mm, it makes yeah. a lot of sense. So um, I think that this fact that this, coupled oscillator which was attached to the earth has been destroyed. I think there was definitely a devolution, a de-evolution of, of mankind. What I think that is, some people say there was some kind of 
meteor that hit the Earth, and it might it might be the thing that knocked the Earth off on its axis. There's a there's a special there's a doctor online who who's kind of put the Earth back on its original axis, and then all these pyramids around the world all actually line up a little bit easier. So it's almost like it's basically you put a tetrahedron, right, and you put Egypt in the middle, and you draw all the lines through a tetrahedron. You, these are your 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 ley lines, your magnetic lines all around the world, which is anti gravity. And if you understand that that technology, aviation becomes a whole different ballgame because you're you're creating a, a ship that can fly within this anti gravity grid. So it's 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 like. Um, you know, the, 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 first, the first time you ever saw a boat on a, on a river that was wireless, we, we used to do, play with them at like, the theme parks. Mm. That was a Tesla invention. It was, you know, two towers with a battery pack. All you've got to do is make sure the tower is at equal distance to the amount of power that you're putting in the, in the boat. If you overpower it, the towers are too close together, you'll blow the boat up. But by doing these two towers, you could do it yourself, two towers, by the side of a river, you'll you'll get the the connection of AC electricity without any cables, and that boat will move on the river. That was Tesla. That became torpedo um, technology. So my questions have been: Why is nobody no? Why does nobody know who Tesla is? Why is the biggest car company called Tesla? That that got me into all kinds of things. Um, you can ask questions about you know I, I want I don't want to go into 9/11 too much, but the two towers in New York were a similar device that were powering all of New York. And guess where they are? Battery Park. The fact that the two towers went down, they then built three. Why would you have three towers? More energy. And the thing about that whole area, uh, Tesla's tower was in Long Island, which is just up from New York. What you've got there is you've got that massive river that comes all the way around New York, and it leads to the Niagara Falls. Niagara Falls is pulling hydropower and that's a continuous line of energy that goes all around the world. It's, a, it's, like, it's like a snake. And that energy, wherever you build these towers, are always next to a body of water. Because that water goes up and down, it fills the pumps underneath, and it causes that pressure, you see? So in, in Vietnam, what do we got now? We had the Bitexico, then we had the Landmark. And when they were building the Landmark, I said ages ago, I said, I bet they put something on the top of it that looks like a, 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 an electrical tower. And I have a friend of mine who was, uh, who was a project manager on that, and I actually asked him, why did they put that thing on the top? He said that was a completely different company, as was the people who did the groundwork. He only did the actual structure, and apparently they did it for the hype. I cycle in the morning around there, and I've seen that thing sparking, like it's collecting energy from the sky, right? Now, just go and have a look around there the next time you go down to Landmark, and you'll find two things at the bottom, which is a structure, uh, just a, an art sculpture, two pyramids. Don't you think that's a bit weird? That's what you mean. It's very weird. So, where's the landmark? Right next to a body of water. I even said they'll build a VinFast uh, super, supercharging thing underneath that, and they have got one of them. Uh, and, you know, the crazy thing is where Tesla's tower used to be that was destroyed, Tesla, Elon Musk has also got a Tesla supercharging power center there because these are all built on specific areas of energy, which you know, you, you can go back to the Druids and all the ancients, they, they would go there because it, it would be vibrating, it would heal you. So, you know, the, the, the funny story, like the, the Lord of the Rings is crazy. If you put Nikola Tesla's name into an anagram, it actually comes, up, comes out as Alas Tolkien, right? Which is, could be a coincidence. But I started watching that now, like the Lord of the Rings, the power of the rings. Stonehenge was a ring. And these apparently were some kind of like, cyclotrons or like particle accelerators they were taking energy from the ground 
and blasting these particles around and then they could force them out in a direction. And you can do all kinds of shit with that. You can create antimatter, right? And from that, you can actually create, like you've got atomic, you've got hydrogen, then you've got antimatter, which is 50 times stronger than hydrogen, right? With this technology, you can make things float, levitate, all kinds of shit, right? And that's another story. But some people say that Stonehenge was kind of like a tuning fork, a vortex of energy is coming up from the ground and they're using this for whatever reason. It can, you can go into all kinds of things, but there's a reason they built them. How did they move these giant stones? In all of these granite, you've got quartz. And if you electrify and magnetize these stones, the mass, the density goes down, you can make them float, right? Literally, you can make them fucking float. So we've got one book on gravity. Now, just imagine that book was wrong. Imagine if that book's part of this narrative that's supposed to, supposed to keep us in the dark. And gravity's a whole different ballgame. Even scientists that can't explain what gravity is, it just so happened that an apple fell on this guy's head and then a year later he's got a book and we all adhere to that. But if you've got the technology to be able to break out of this, this, uh, this normality, you can do anything you want. And that's what I'm saying. That's where we can be. And it's not about getting there. It's about going back. You know what I'm saying? So Lord of the Rings, the first one is called Fellowship of the Ring. In, um, in one of the movies about Edison and Westinghouse, it says, he who has power of the rings controls the world. I think the rings are these vortexes that are based around the world. And noticeably, they're all at these ancient temples. And noticeably, they're all where all the, the last wars have been. Afghanistan and Lebanon. They've gone in there and destroyed, like Iraq. All these places that had, had very old cultures and museums full of these artifacts have all been destroyed to get rid of the evidence, right? So he who has power of the rings. What's the second of the Lord of the Rings? It's called the Two Towers, the Tesla Towers. The two Tesla Towers are actually in Young Frankenstein, Gene Wilder, that's what brings Frankenstein alive. And then the final one is Return of the King. So we could be talking about reincarnation, this cycle. Right? There, was a, there was a king before, and then there's going to be a king again. But you see, if we're talking about a matriarchal system, it should be return of the queen. And who is the queen? That's the answer. Right, I see. Yeah, <laughs> there's quite a lot of information there that I'm trying to, what's the word? Process. Guess, yeah, process first of all, and then try and like summarize like for my next question. So I suppose where I'm trying to go, because obviously there's quite a lot. Um, this, I'm not really sure how to phrase, how are the pyramids still pivotal today? from obviously all those years ago, from what you've just told me, how do they perhaps shape us nowadays? Well, they're still resonating energy. Okay. So what they reckon it was, all, there's, there's, there's quite a lot of pyramids along the Nile, and they all had a different function. So there's one area in Saqqara, which is almost like a, a hospital. And what you can do, you can go there, and there's a stone where you can put your head inside the stone. And then just off the side of that, there are a set of these steps that kind of form its own little mini pyramid. So what the what their job was, if you were sick, you would go and stand on one of these steps, depending on your illness, depending on what step you stand on. And then the physician would put his head inside this like space, and apparently you could get a hologram of the internal of the body, and he could find where your pain was. And then the pyramid, that specific pyramid, would resonate a frequency that would shoot some kind of energy into your body and just heal you. Now, you think about laser technology now. People are doing it on the skin, laser on their eyes. All the shit we've got now is what I'm explaining, what the pyramids did all that time ago. So you want to create a civilization. I am going to say they were extraterrestrial. Some people 
don't believe that. But when you, sh I've started now looking at, because I've got into hieroglyphs, I'm actually really reading the hieroglyphs and, and, and figuring them out. Um, you look at Greek, look at Russian. There's a good, uh, I've just finished reading this book by Tom DeLong. Mm. You know, um, he, yeah, he's got this thing called To the Stars. I wasn't paying attention to it, but he, I, 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 did, I, I, I uh, listened to the podcast with Joe Rogan and he's very calm. And he's like, yeah, I've been chosen to do this. He said, I've got a massive team of people. And Joe Rogan's like, so you've got all this secret information from all these government officials, but you're just a fucking like famous singer. He's like, no, somebody had to be the person who can start giving it to the people. So what he's done is created a narrative through fiction. And I've started reading it, and it's brilliant. He's basically putting all the pieces together. I'm so happy because it's making my... I, I don't need justification. I've got it in my heart. But what I do need is more people to talk about and people to be more open-minded. People who say, like, oh, you're crazy or you're pseudoscience or whatever. I'm not crazy. I've been doing this for 25 years. This includes, like, my mom and all this stuff that I've been telling you. I'm really passionate about this. And I'll tell you something, Connor. If I could find one door to exit, I would have done it a long time ago. And just get on with my life because none of this is making me money mm. it's just about it's a quest and it's actually for me it's the most fucking bizarre yet the most astonishing and rewarding thing because it's 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 like that movie ready player one i'm putting all these pieces together i don't know where i'm gonna go with it but what i found is i i basically i'm that we're all the coupled oscillators and i detach myself from something i've been very much alone and in the darkness and and really freaking out and I've lost my way and I've, I've re I'm reconnecting with that again we all need to do but I think back then we were all connected to this thing that's what created civilization we were all the same uh, consciousness we all had ma we were all master builders we were all master thinkers there was no such thing as science no such thing as geography it was all one study and we were the best at everything and you know apparently we we're telepathic basically we were like an organism, an organism starting without having the corruption. And over time, that corruption's gone in there, and that power has been put into the wrong hands. And maybe they don't know how to use it correctly. And maybe they're freaking out. But that's what I believe, is that now, somebody's trying to take control of all these areas, but they're not thinking about the consequences of having all that power. And you know what? In all, in all the, in, 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 there's an actual, uh, there's another hieroglyph inside one of the uh, temples, in Egypt, and it shows the old uh, light bulbs, and it shows these like monkeys on there, and basically they're saying, warning, somebody fucked with this power before, and it, it backfired, and that could be what what leads to this whatever happened at the pyramids. There was an explosion. So you imagine, like, imagine like the coal industry goes down, or imagine that the cornfields go down. Something in the system, in our um, monetary system, if something collapses, the whole system goes down. Everything has to flow. So if you've got the power station, which is like nuclear power of today, if that's running and creating energy and power and all that, and that blows up, uh, or maybe there's a, there's a cataclysmic event where, you know, the continents separated, all the tribes got separated, everybody would have to start again. And the survivors, there would be pockets of survivors who over time would forget their original language and they would start forming other languages. They would forget their original wisdom. But it was, this is what I'm saying. Hakim's oral tradition got passed down. Just like people who pray, it never goes away. So had that been put down into paper, it would have been corrupted. 
But Hakeem, he didn't tell anybody he was part of this for so long, and then finally he came out. And all these things that he's been saying, he's got a huge following of people. These people are professionals, they're spiritual. Some of them have worked in Freemasonry, some of them have done like Rosicrucian stuff. There's a massive body of scientific brain power there. But every one of them, you touch this, you get branded as pseudoscience. Why? And the people who say that don't give a shit. They don't even look into it. They automatically say pseudoscience. We could, imagine if they're wrong. Imagine the consequences. Of, we're all living in a lie. And that goes back to why I feel so passionate. I told you before, I realized I was living a lie for so long. And now I'm feeling honest and this feels more honest than anything. So I don't know what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to save the world. I'm trying to get, I, I want to inspire people to go and pick up a book of something they're not interested in. And that causes new conversations. Instead of us talking about the same crap. Look at that Will Smith thing, for example. Mm. What is that? It's just another distraction. People got so much time to share that, but nobody gives a, stuff, a crap about the other stuff, you know, the important stuff. So that's, yeah, I think if, if there's a, a, a message there for everybody, it's like, you know, pay attention. Mm. Have a bit more care. I, I, maybe I'm obsessed with this, but I see it in my mind and I'm so thankful that I started this so long ago when I was so naive. And to the point where I'm, I'm still, I'm still trying to figure it out. This is the first time I've actually spoke about it to you. So this piece yeah, is sure. missing. I'm trying to make it where I can communicate. But you see, this is the thing. It's not for communication. It's for everybody to figure out themselves. Whatever direction you want to go, it doesn't have to be the pyramid. But I think ultimately, it's about us all being coupled as an energy with the with the planet. That's the message. You know right. What I'm that's where I see. Okay. Yeah. And I'm trying to think, I guess, from like individual points of view. So we've mentioned um, Hakeem, we've mentioned Tom DeLonge, like perhaps yourself as well. How, how, why do you think specific people kind of take this route of looking to seek and go on this quest to find things that perhaps could be described as esoteric or not, let's say... It is esoteric. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally esoteric. Well, because, the, you know, we're, we're, Graham Hancock says that we're a, we're a society with amnesia. So when you're, when you're asking, when you're reading a book about history... If it's all wrong, you know, am I, am I supposed to face my son and say, oh, yeah, by the way, everything you learn is bullshit. I can't do that. So if I can be part of anything, for me, it's just ask questions. Everybody who talks like me about this, we say, go and do your own. I'm not going to say research because people get really nasty about that. I say, go and do your own homework. Go and look into it. And, you know, there's so much you'll learn from it. It, it, it takes you down so many different directions. You know, I, I read books about psychedelics, even though I've done it, but I actually went and read about it and you know when if i do do a psychedelic now i sort of know the process i've even i'm not i'm not a doctor but i've learned about the human body the mind i'm also like you i took my my um, my traumas and started studying the brain and and patterns and then I, if i see somebody who's in trouble i try and help them you know last time i, I got in a fight i didn't get in a fight i could have got in a fight I, I decided to buy the these two guys around in the pub told the maid told this so the, uh, the waitress, buy them two beers on me and I left. And it was the hardest thing I've ever done because I used to be a fighter, right? Mm. And I, I was biting my lip thinking I should go back and knock them out. Anyway, I left. Next day, I saw an Irish guy actually worked the same place as us before. Um, I, saw him on, I saw him walking down the street the day after and I said, oh, you, get on the back of my bike. I took him to my house. Yesterday, he was going to beat the shit out of each other. Went to my house. We sat down. We had a chat. He stayed for a whole day and we became best friends. And I... He said to me, nobody's ever listened to his shit. His brother died of a, of a suicide because he was into the same shit I'm into. Sent him crazy. And he told me all this later. And he said, oh, just talking to you has kind of helped me 
realized that it, it was it wasn't you know something you can sort of let go of. But nobody's ever listened to him, and the fact that I just gave him that chance instead of having a fight with him shows a lot about where I've come from. So and it all this whatever I'm doing has given me that ability sure. to do that. That speaks louder than any anything I'm going to say. You know what I'm saying? And that's yeah, for sure. That's good. That's a good move. I'm proud of that. Yeah, the openness, the empathy, mm. listening to others, totally crucial. And when we're talking about kinematology, uh, one thing we mentioned like before we started recording was like the concept of karma. You know, when we spoke yeah. on message, can you tell me a bit about how karma relates to this? Because I've had a lot of conversations recently about karma. I'm trying to work it out for myself. Can you tell me a bit more? Well, I think karma is all about balance. Um, again. We're talking about a possible civilization that were, were they were just focused on one thing and that was building civilization. There was no need for hate or anything like that. What would have happened over time, you would have got, especially if this system breaks down, you would have got somebody coming in saying, right, you worship this God, but I don't believe in that God. I want to do this God. And that's sort of the story of Ramesses. Ramesses came in, created a civilization. That's when we turned into a patriarchal system. And... I think that ultimately that's where the world started to change. Everything started to change. Deserts began to happen. And that's karma. You fuck with things, you try to mess around with things, the harmony of something, and you'll end up destroying the very place that you, you, you live in. Your body's your temple. You do enough bad things, enough bad things are gonna happen. You're changing your vibration. I've had that, I've changed my resonation to the point where I'm, I'm, I feel so ashamed. And it's like, you, you, you riddled with guilt. You know, it's horrible. It's like creeping all around you. The, the only way to get rid of that is to start doing the right thing again. So that's your karma right there. Easy. Right, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, nailed. And how does, I guess, good and bad apply? I know that's very difficult, but how would you specify what is good versus what is bad? Well, good's easy. Like, you know, I mean, I don't wake up in the, the day. I don't wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to go kill somebody because I know it's going to be bad. Right, okay. Um, I just go out and, uh, you know, I, 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 I've made mistakes with people I would not normally sort of hang around with. It's always been them people, mostly people I've worked for. Um, I don't know what it is, you know, I've got this thing about, I'll do something so I'm all right, I'm, I'm, I'm protected. But at the end of the day, there's rules. Um, you know, if I, if, I, if I had a business and somebody's working for me and they, they were doing a good job, but they also broke the rules, then I, it'd probably be a different story. So um, I always think that I'm good, but there's got to be a balance, but that also, there's got to be a balance for me on the other side, like, so I'll take care of me for you, you take care of you for me, that's the balance, right, but as I said, for me, good and bad, good is finishing the day, you can sleep well, and you feel like you've accomplished something, right, finish the day with, you're full of hate, hate's gonna kill you, whatever, and I've had that, you got to get rid of that, hate's where you are completely detached from whatever's the energy of the world. It's scary, man, I've been there. You can, you can disappear, you float away. You know, if there is such thing as gravity, it's about that. So, um, yeah, I think, I tell you what, the easy thing is with this question, it's a really good question, actually. You don't need to think about being good. It just happens. And when it happens, it's usually very organic. Well, bad, there's a, there's a moment where you can decide. There is that moment. Some people say they, did, they never had that moment, but I think there is. There's a moment where you've got it to be able to say, what I'm about to do is gonna have consequences, right? And in psychology, if somebody makes a mistake the first time, they shouldn't go to jail, unless it was obviously, you know, predetermined. But in society, we should give people another chance. But if they make the same mistake again, obviously then there's an issue, right? That's bad. But I think 
the problem in society is how can you be good in a system that's corrupt and that's full of lies? This is the problem. This is my biggest stress that I'm having to deal with. Other people, you know, ignorance is bliss. I respect that. These people sit there, they'll, they'll listen to the news and they, they, they follow all these people. I don't get anything from any government, world officials or politicians. I don't listen to any of them. None of them, re none of them make books or podcasts that are interested. It's all the other people that have got the answers for me. And these are the ones who are free-spirited, who want to, you know, level it all out and say, right, let's start from this. How's about we start being honest? And for me, it starts with the pyramids. The pyramids are not tombs. Enough of that shit. They're not. And it's, my dad always told me, respect your elders. And that's true. So the greatest fear for me now is to find out, if, if all this comes out and to find out that whoever built the pyramids, it was for something bad. Like it could have been, um, suppressing these energy lines and actually brainwashing people and these things could have been used for that but I don't believe that because it's because the ingenuity that was created inside the pyramid and the great the maddest thing with all this is that all these things around the world they come and they go we've had to go into the geometry to get the answers out of the pyramids these people were so far ahead they would have known it would have come to that you could you could you know you can make the bible the bible was changed many many times i'm not religious but i've actually read the bible and there's a lot of really truth there's a lot of truth into that but there's also a lot of corruption it's been it's been um manipulated a bit same with with ramesses when ramesses came in they, they carved all the original cartouches off they skimmed them down and put all of his religion over he was like the first graffiti artist so all i'm saying is if we're going to be good we're going to be bad whatever we need to be honest First of all, and I am trying. I am trying to be as honest as I can, and I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm just asking for another opportunity in life, and I'm going to do it right. I'm, I'm still a little bit lost right now. I'm having issues with, you know, figuring out I'm going to stay in Vietnam. I'm doing jobs that I don't really enjoy. I'm sort of like, should I go home? Should I go and see my family? But I've got my son here. It's really difficult, but I'm still alive and I've still got my health. So mm. that's good. That's definitely good. Yeah, I know what you, you mean. You know what I mean? And I know this might be tricky, but how do you stay like? happy and positive and optimistic when there is this kind of sense that there might be corruption out there you know I, what I mean I just for me reading and learning has been the greatest like stability honestly I just I read books that will give most people heart attacks I mean but I balance it out I'll go and read a book about something and then I'll go and read a book on like how to make money which don't usually work but <laughs> um, no I think I've had I've had this focus and this like mission I shouldn't say mission, this quest, and that's kept me on my toes. It's, it's great, it's like being a kid all the time. But I am in a, I'm, I'm 43 now, and I'm in, a, I'm in a real stage of my life, a cross-section where I'm like, what am I going to do now? I, you know, I was DJing for 25 years. I'm a really good writer, and what I, what I, what I really want to do is I'll do a podcast like you, but I want to take it to the stage. I've, I, I saw uh, Bill Bailey here. I thought it was brilliant. Bill pulled out pieces of paper and read his poetry, and I thought, see, that's my issue. I can't remember all my poetry because I do poetry as well. So if what I figured, if, if I could go on stage with a giant book, that might inspire people to actually read, for one. So I've got all these poems. So my idea is to sort of tell a poem and then tell people why I wrote that poem to give them, because, you know, my poems are quite complex. Right, okay. And then um, instead of paying for a ticket, you can help by buying a book. And I'm, I've actually, I've got the book. I just, I need to lay it all out. And I've got a friend who's going to illustrate for me. But at the back of this book, there's a spare page saying, your turn. So I, I've got this idea, concept, get on stage. What I've had to do is really just start being very 
careful about how I'm delivering this because I've been definitely been um, guilty of almost, you know, just smashing this on people. Um, the best, the best analogy I, I heard was, you know, in life it's like you're climbing a, a ladder, and you get to the top of the beanstalk and you see this, this like whatever, and then you shout down to everybody, "Look at the sight! Look at the state of this!" But nobody can see it until you move your ass. So I've been shouting down to everybody, "You're gonna see this!" And it just freaks everybody out. So back off, let everybody go on their own little thing. If somebody wants to come and ask me a question, they can. You know, you don't put what. You don't force things onto people. That's really hard when you, you've got all this information. You're sort of like, I can try and change the world with this. Mm. I can at least show you that we're being lied to, right? So there could be other consequences, though. There, is there a reason why we're being lied to? You know, if you have ever studied like the Epic of Gilgamesh, that's a really good example where, you know, at the end of it, he's sort of wanting to be a god. And they say to him, well, you know, okay, we'll, we'll let you be a god if you do one thing. All you've got to do is stay awake for seven days. He says, yeah, no problem. So what they do is they bake a fresh loaf of bread every day. And when they come back, there's seven loaves of bread that have not been touched, which means he slept the whole week. So they said, if you want to be a god, you've got to stay awake. See, you humans can't do that. And I've thought about that. I thought, yeah, there's some things that maybe we should be left in the dark. But I will not allow my child to listen to that story that the pyramids are tombs. They're not. And there's no way I've made up this shit. And the guy that I met, Hakim, Bless him, you know, um, unbelievable resonance. That guy has been withholding that wisdom for so long because he knew nobody would listen. But for some reason, I'm sat here with you after he's passed away and it's coming through me. And mm -hmm. I, I, think, I think that's what Yoda says about the disturbance in the force. My disturbance is to, is to get people resonating again for a very positive and good way, you know? Right, I see. <laughs> and how often do you think of, I guess, how often do you think... Or perhaps if you weren't fascinated by the pyramids or anything else, like how often do you think, what if life was just different and I kind of just took like a normal ignorance is bliss path? Like, do you ever think about that? Not really, no. I've never been like that. I mean, people, kids used to run up, run away from me in the street because I'd be coming down the street like I just had hundred Haribos, you know, like right, full yeah. of sugar, full of energy. I've always been this massive power, and for me, it's a bit, the hardest thing is to slow that down. So, no, I'm, I, don't, I don't look back at anything. I'm thankful that, for some reason, I've had the mature... I've, I've had to mature with this stuff. I mean, looking back on where I could have gone, I could have just been one of those guys that went clubbing, went to the pub every day, mm. didn't give a shit. I, uh, you know, talked about how shit my wife was and you know, all that bullshit. The conversation, I'm not saying people... I don't want to put people down, but it's very rare you meet anybody who you can have a really awesome chat with without upsetting somebody, you know? With me... Best advice I've had the last few months, there's a time and a place. And, and actually, I'm going to start reserving this stuff for these things. You know, yeah, yeah. the thing with, with multimedia like YouTube, people don't go there for production. They go there to listen, to learn. And I hope what I'm saying, it might, it's not about learning. It's about being inspired. Like, wow, there could be some real magic out there. Like, when I listen to this kind of stuff, it makes me, makes me think all day. I'm trying to process this stuff like, wow. This is great. And this is, for me, it's breaking out of the programming. You know, yeah. I did it a long time ago. I've had, somebody said to me recently, I've, I've uh, trans, transcended. And I have, I feel like I've gone from that third density prison to a four. And, you know, hopefully I'll go into a five. And that, that's like when, if you look at a cat, they'll look around, they're seeing things going around. You know, the, I, I do believe that entities that die are all around us. 
and we just can't see them. So I think that, you know, life and death, it's all just one big circle. And as I said before, it's all the cycle. It's not a linear, you okay. know. Yeah, you, you play music, do you? Uh, I don't play music. No. Oh, no. no so no. somebody said it's like um, when, when, when you have opera, when you have uh, bands jamming, yeah. you get this kind of like linear acoustic thing going on. You can't explain it. And that's what the world used to be like. We used to be in this harmonious resonance. And now the band's like, you know, separated. It's all just going a bit stale. Nobody knows what the purpose is anymore. I mean, yeah, my yeah. job is to get that band back on the stage and get it rocking. You know what I'm right, saying? Yeah, okay. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. <laughs> <laughs> and we mentioned like the cycle of life and death. What's your relationship like with death? Um, so, yeah, we mentioned to you before that I had some suicidal thoughts. Yeah. I'm not afraid to say, you know, people say you shouldn't talk about it, but I knew in the back of my mind that I was never going to do it. Yeah, same here. Um, and I've, not, I've met a lot of people who say they're going to do it. My thing was is that I sort of did it all on Facebook because I was fucking scared. I was terrified. I, 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 one minute I'm on the bed and the next thing I'm just thinking about jumping off the balcony and I couldn't, I couldn't understand what it was all about. So I went back and started reading some... I was reading a lot of heavy books at the time and for some reason I still went and did it and they, they could have an effect on you. But... Um, I went back and read some other books about like, you know, why I was thinking that and I try to find the things that that uh, were causing the problem. It's not about give you medicine, get rid of the headache. It's like what was causing the headache, right? And that's, the, that's a big problem with society right now. We don't find the root cause of something. And um, yeah, there's a few reasons. A lot, of, a lot of it was just growing up. I felt like, I felt like I basically took my life for, 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 um, for granted. Took everything for uh, you know for advantage, um, and I just I wasn't being cautious about planning for the future. I was just having fun, living the moment, you know. But then when suddenly all this starts happening, I realise I've not got that much to back me up. It put me in a very situ very bad situation. So now this rebuild is all about not just rebuilding the moment, but having a plan for the future as well. Yeah, sure. I know I know what I want to do. Um, I've got a very clear idea. Again, it's all about how do I communicate that to the rest of the world without screaming at people, scaring people. Yeah, That's yeah. the art. You know what I mean? Look look at like Dave Chappelle now. I think he's a genius, you know. Comedy has always been used to sort of like say some real shit, but he's so natural at it. And the thing with Mr. Chappelle, what I love, I can have a conversation with somebody about how funny his jokes were. I can have a conversation with somebody about what all of it means. And now it all links together. And that's that's where I'm at in my life, trying to piece it all together to put it into an ambiguous form of communication, look like Shakespeare. You know, I want to be able to have that simple expression, but also a deep technical expression that lives forever. That's mm. your legacy, you know? So, yeah, where I stand right now, I want to be honest. I want to make the world honest. I want to make the world happy again and, and make the world good. Excellent. Yeah, Into the light, not the darkness. I'm done with that. The Ammon stage is over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. The Amon stage is over. The Amon, yes. Yeah, it's it's Amon, isn't it? It makes sense if you think about it. Yeah, absolutely. Ooh. I feel like that's a very powerful message to end on. Do you have any final thoughts, Adam, before we wrap up? No, just be good. And um, there's a saying in Kemet, which is probably the oldest form of language. It's called Yakini, Yakini. It means may your positive protect you. Excellent. There you go. I think that's a perfect way to round off. Cheers, Wicked. Bro. Nice one, my man. <laughs>